Good afternoon. It's about 2 o'clock here at Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill and WERU.org. And it's the second Tuesday of the month, precisely time for Boat Talk, the call-in boating show that is on hold for right now. We are still pre-recording this show from the Couch Potato Studios, so phone calls can't be taken at this time. Hopefully, people will get their shots so we can get back to a live call-in show. Meanwhile, we have plenty of boat stuff to talk about, plus some old gems from the past. I'm Alan Sprague. Fluky Boat Talk anchor John Johansson is going to launch the show with a lobster boat racing report, boatyard news, and a talk that those of you who may be interested in doing some historical research should hear. You know, we get you know talk about the lobster boat racing. I mean, we had a great year. I can't remember where we left off the the last time uh, we were talking because I think uh, we actually uh, recorded before we went to uh, Winter Harbor. Uh, Winter Harbor, right? And Winter Harbor had a lot of people at it. At Winter Harbor, uh, they gave away an engine. A 400 horsepower FPT engine, which was about a 35 to 40 thousand dollar engine, so that that actually draws a lot of people out of the woodwork <laughs> to come down and race. If you're racing for a 40 thousand dollar prize, <laughs> and you had a one in I think 39, one in a, I we had 129 races there, so that's not too bad odds. You know, one in 100. You know, 29. Uh, odds so you know it was a good day of racing you know the rain was there was no rain it was actually a pretty clean day the fog was there which kind of you know limited you know maybe some of the people coming but for the most part it i don't think it did i know my wife brought the boat back because i had to come back to start setting up the computer system to build the new uh newspaper because i only had three days to to get everything published and so, uh, but there was some good races. Little girl was there. That was the last time we saw her at Sean Alley's boat, which is a Calvin Beal 28 with a 466 Ford engine with a blower on it. Uh, he would win his, uh, he would win all of most of the races that day. So, and then with the next day we went to Pemaquid, which, you know, I got to give credit to three boats. Foolish Pleasure, Alexa Rose, and Audrey May, they made every single race this year. And that's not an easy feat to do because on that weekend with Winter Harbor, you got to go all the way to the Merritt Bracket races in Pemaquid. So, you know, that's a long steam. You know, now I know what Matt Shepard did. He owns the Alexa Rose. He's from uh, Stonington. Well, he got to go home and sleep that night and get up in the morning and climb on back on board the boat and go the next day. So it wasn't too bad because it's right in the middle. And it's yeah. probably, you know, and he cruises at a good rate. He probably is well into the 
low 20s, maybe mid 20s cruising with that boat. He's got a Morgan Bay 43, and I believe he's got a 750 horsepower engine in her because he, he moves right along. That's a really slippery boat. Yeah, he's got a 750 John Deere in that. And Morgan Bay's building another an, another model. They're going to actually, we can talk about that a little bit in Boatyard News, but they're going to a 47, and they've already got one of them sold. But the, the, unfortunately, the races in Portland and, and Long Island, the Long Island races did pretty well. They had 46 boats, but there was a hurricane coming. So it wasn't overly nice at at the Long Island races on Saturday afternoon, it wasn't bad. I shortened the course for the little boats because we didn't want to rescue anybody, you know, because a lot of times adrenaline takes over, especially the young people, although they're not the only offenders. You know, there's some people that unfortunately think they're young and they can do anything and <laughs> the boat might fly. So we shortened the course and we didn't have any problems with it. And uh, with the 46 boats, you know, we were probably done mid-afternoon. And then that evening, there was a big fundraiser for the Portland races at uh, the Lobster uh, Company, which is a restaurant on Peaks Island, because Portland raises funds for the students of fishermen. That is uh, basically what the Maine Fishermen's Forum raises money for. So we we will give to that, or they will give to that. But the big boat there all weekend was uh, Jeremy Beal's boat. I mean, you know, and, and Blue-Eyed Girl, they kind of stole the show. But unfortunately, Blue-Eyed Girl didn't come back on Sunday. Of course, now the hurricane's getting closer to us. The threat of rain was pretty good. It was blowing pretty good. You know, you felt sorry for the two boats that had to come back to Penobscot Bay, which was Alexa Rose and Audrey May. But and I don't know if they went came all the way in one shot or whether they ducked in and stayed the night somewhere. We only had 19 boats on Sunday. So, you know, it's too bad because that's for, you know, raising money for the scholarship fund, but. That's how it goes. And then the tugs came out and raced, but there was only three of them. Unfortunately, Winslow's tugs didn't come out. The only ones that were there were, were the McAllister tugs. Uh, they make it a big day. They have almost 50 to 75 people on board those big tugboats all day long. And uh, they come out and they come down our course. And uh, that's always good because there's not very many tugboat races left in the United States because it's so expensive to run those things. So I think New York still does it on um, Labor Day weekend. And I think maybe out west in Seattle, they may still do those big tugboat races. That was the Foss Company. So, but I haven't heard. I I never went to the one in Seattle. I, w I was going to try one year, but I never made it there. So basically, the year went really well, uh, but we we're wondering about whether we should make some changes. So you know, our annual banquet comes up on the sixteenth of October, and it's held at Robinson's Wharf on Southport Island, which is just to the west of Booth Bay Harbor, and that's our annual meeting. 
And the only slight rule that I'm proposing is that to qualify in the association for the points race, you have to race at least three races. And this year, we it was five races max. So we took, if you raced all 11 or 10 races in the points system, we took your best five. Well, we have three ties, I think, in the final standings. So maybe to eliminate some of that, we're going to go to six. That's my proposal. I don't. It's up to the members. It's it's one of the only boards where you actually are me- membership driven. It's up to the members as to what they want to do. The other proposal was that we actually pay for all of the races up front. So that's kind of interesting. But another one that came up that could be even more interesting was a race from Booth Bay Harbor to Rockland between the first two races. And that could be kind of interesting because you could race outside so it doesn't create any problems with the wakes and stuff like that. Uh, But, you know, we'll see if anybody really is up to doing that. It's a long race. I don't know. It it probably is 30 or 40 miles from Rockland. So... That's pretty much for the the lobster boat racing. Uh, It was a good year. We had slightly less than what we had in 2019. Uh, You know, so. But as for Boatyard News, I got into a few places this, this month. Front Street being the biggest one. It's unbelievable what goes on in that yard. Uh, of course, they've got the largest water jet system in the state of uh, Maine and New England, and they are cutting parts and pieces for all kinds of people, architects, boatyards. Uh, they're doing some work for CPRO uh, and other people. And one reason is, is that they can actually put angles into the pieces that they're cutting. And a lot of water jets can't do that. So they they must have a multiple uh, dimensional head or whatever they call it. And then, because uh, I met with J.B. Turner, who runs the uh, Front Street Shipyard, and he has a number of uh, Nordhavens there. They take care of a lot of them. There's the 55-foot Mary Me, and she's being painted right now. There's the 96 MacGuffin, and she has been painted, and she's done. And the 70-foot Trixie was in for just general maintenance. They also had the 76-foot leopard uh, catamaran called Princess Cleo. She was, She's in. She hasn't been painted yet, but she's going to get paint top to bottom. And uh, let's see. And just out of the paint bay was the 60-foot Mischief. But she's also getting a new keel and rudder and interior upgrades. Uh, Thingfish, which was a Muscle Ridge 46-foot fisherman, they just finished her, and they installed a larger generator. And then they turned her live well tanks into fuel tanks because she needed more fuel capacity. Um, And then JC's, which is a 50-foot sport fisherman from Cape Cod, is, uh, is in for new engines. And these are being installed now, and she should be out of the yard and headed south in the next month. Uh, Holland 30. This is interesting. Uh, 
it's basically the 32 cut down uh, two feet. And she's going to be powered with an outboard, and she's nearing completion. And I know that because my stepson works on this boat. He's one of the uh, – he went to Maine Maritime Academy, and as soon as he graduated, he ran over there and works for them uh, in the um, engineering department. And he works on a lot of the mega yachts and hooks up the systems and stuff. And she's supposed to be over within the next week. And – that's the second one they've done without board engines. They're also building a Hunt 41. And JB said they really need to get going on that uh, because it's due out next spring. But his biggest problem is, is that he can't pull fiberglass guys. He doesn't have enough fiberglass guys. He can't pull them from Bucksport because they're busy laying up hulls for uh, either uh, SW Boat Works. They do Holland. They do Sergeant from down in uh, Millbridge. They do uh, Bracket, who comes out of New Harbor, and they do ProGlide boats. So they're pretty swamped over in uh, Bucksport at that facility. Uh, the other boats that have uh, been in, uh, Scout 2 was in for some transmission work. She's a big mega yacht, and unfortunately, she could only go in one direction. Mm. And apparently, it wasn't the one they wanted to go in. Uh, Pioneer, which is a 151-footer, uh, she was refurbished last winter at the yard, and she's coming back just for general maintenance. And Sunbeam, which was also uh, refurbished last year, major, major job, took almost a year to complete. She's just coming back for general maintenance and paint. Now, Morgan Bay Boats, they're working on a 43 that is being Coast Guard – she's got Coast Guard certified – charter boat for a customer from montauk new york and she's kind of simple down below she's just got a v-birth quarter berth on the port side in the freezer and up in the main cabin she has a settee small galley and the head is only accessed from the cockpit which i thought was kind of strange i would like two accesses because if it's really bad out i wouldn't want to go outside if i didn't have to mm. but anyways that's how they're setting her up and then they're making the 47 plug. And that's being done over in Penobscot at the old Down East Composites. And uh, the lines are going to be based on the 43. And uh, the plug is almost done. They've raised the shear six inches. And they're going to widen her slightly, but only above the waterline. And if she's anything like the 43, that's going to be one slippery boat. And he's already got one sold, and a number of other people are very interested in uh, uh, finishing th these off as sport fishermen. Mostly these customers come from New York. Uh, let's see, Sergeant's Boats down in Millbridge. That was another yard I got into when I went in there. They had a Muscle Ridge 42 inside the shop, and they were starting to put in uh, the structure underneath the platform and they were doing the tankage. Uh, she's going to be a simple boat. She's going to be finished out as a lobster boat, split wheelhouse, and she's going to Lemoyne. So down below, she's going to have a berth, cabinets, and then under the platform is the lobster tank and a rope locker. And she's going to be powered with a thousand horsepower FPT diesel engine. And he figures that that boat will be done, oh, probably late winter, early spring. They just launched a Dixon 45 split wheelhouse lobster boat for a fisherman from Swans Island. And she was a little more 
had a little more accommodations than the, uh, the Muscle Ridge 42 had. She's gonna, she had double burst forward cabinets and storage compartments, and she could hold 40 crates underneath the deck in three lobster tanks. She's powered with an 800 horsepower V8 man, which gives her a top speed of 21 knots and she can cruise at 16 and a half. And they've also got a couple other projects going. There's a, some 23s being laid up. Those are laid up by Front Street in Bucksport. And then they've got a Duffy 25, uh, Duffy 35 that they're going to actually lengthen out. This was the first boat that Joe built when he opened the business in 1999. And then he's got outside, they've got a Calvin Beale 38, which is kind of a sport fisherman pleasure boat. And she's going to be stripped right down to the bare hull and then finished off again as a pleasure sport fisherman, but relatively basic. So... That's pretty much, you know, what I had on Boatyard News. Oh, uh, Matt Sledge at Samoset Boatworks launched uh, Hawkeye 2, which is a Muscle Ridge 46. And you want to talk about fancy. That boat's built only with epoxy resin. He doesn't use any polyester or vinyl ester resin. He only does everything in epoxy. And she got launched probably a couple weeks ago at uh in east booth bay and she's been out doing sea trials and she should be on her way to new york uh you know she's pretty well decked out as a sport fisherman that's for sure the guy's real serious so that was a boat that was under construction probably for at least a year so some of these boats are getting very very complicated and very very expensive <laughs> Are we still having trouble getting uh, materials for boats, especially stuff from China? Yeah, I've heard some stuff. I mean, uh, one of the concerns of JB at Front Street was that he was worried what Ida had done in the hurricane and wondered if he could get parts and pieces from Louisiana. I can't remember what he was looking for, but mm. he was hoping that they could you know, actually supply him what he needed. I mean, the biggest problem now is the price. You can sometimes get it, but, you know, the price is almost doubled in some cases on some of this stuff. You know, everybody that I've gone into, they've been more than busy. Uh, they could all use help, which would be nice. Uh, anybody that would like a job, you're more than welcome to apply to any of your local boatyards. <laughs> They'd be more than happy to more than likely train you. Uh, they probably don't pay as bad as they used to because they need the help. They're crying. So, you know, uh, I was down in Eastport and I keep hoping that they get that boat school back running. But sometimes you just wonder. I mean, you know, they just kind of, I don't know, they seem to just kind of tread water. And they have somebody in there now that has the where for all. He has the connections and he's offered to help them raise some money to get the roof fixed because the building, I don't know how many people have been down there, but that's a beautiful facility. Most boatyards would love to have the facility they've got, but unfortunately I don't think there's any tools left. I think that when they were uh, kind of in limbo between you know, Hudson and the state of Maine and all of this, 
the tools ended up gone and stuff like that. So, you know, they'd almost have to start from scratch, but at least the building structurally, except for the roof on the, on the main building where they teach, that's suspect. But, you know, that can be fixed relatively easily with $300,000 or so, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> uh, you know, but other than that, uh, I guess the big news was the what came out of Noah that they're going to close what almost a thousand square miles of uh, bottom to fishermen, which I thought was really not smart because you know anybody with common sense would know how to actually do that. I mean, I think we t- discussed that on one of our shows about four or five months ago. You know when the whales are going to transverse the area, close the area then. You know, why close it for the whole thing? You know, but they they don't care what you want. They're going to do what they want. They don't care about you. So, you know, that could be kind of interesting. Yeah, we're going to, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about that in the next few months, especially the yeah, people just, who, the, uh, the fishermen who like to fish offshore there are definitely going to have to change their routine. Oh, yeah. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, you're just going to shove more the, the same amount of fishermen into a smaller area. And, you know, a thousand square miles, that's a big area. You know, and mm-hmm. how many of them come into our waters? Now, I know in federal waters, that's, that's you know, which is where this is. You know, they do come through there. But like I said, just close it off when they're running through there. That yeah, would be the simple method, but. Yes, yeah. we don't want to do the simple method. Hard to tell. Um, mm-hmm. I think one small good thing that's come out of that, though, is they are they're keeping the option open for the uh, the electronic gear, the, the lineless gear. Right, but mo- I've heard that most of that doesn't work. Well, I mean, I'd hate to put any of that stuff in salt water, wouldn't you? It's like <laughs> those windmills. What's the worst place to put a windmill? Out on the water, you have to go fix it? No way. Hmm. I know the British do a lot with that. I've seen a lot of uh, uh, videos online. I I do Curiosity Stream once in a while. And they had a great big show on how the British had developed a lot of their windmills. Some of them float like a buoy. You know, and they had to readjust it because, of course, it would tip. Well, they've made it so that it it's stable and even depending on, it doesn't depend on the wind. It will always stand upright, which that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that'll be quite but an engineering with, problem. Yeah, but, you know, how much did that cost? <laughs> you know, does it really, is it justifiable? Somebody told me that if you actually ask people to invest in, in this, you know, their own money, it wouldn't happen. (laughs) But, you know, I can understand it on land because it's easy to deal with. You know, you can get somebody in a crane or, you know, if you need to take something apart, but take a barge out there. You know, you can only do that on certain days. Oh, yeah. You know, so it seems to be a big problem to me. Mm -hmm. But, I think it would be a lot easier to deal with a bond length than it would be out there. But other than that, I'm doing a show for uh, the Penobscot Marine Museums. What do they call it? Member Monday. 
And they got me talking about how I do newspaper research. And that's kind of interesting if you want to put people to sleep. Uh, no, I think there's a lot of people who are interested in trying to figure out how to do research and, and really don't know how to, how to do, go about it. I think that would be interesting. Well, you know, it's, it's relatively simple. There was a time I was reading the book on pilots that Wooden Boat offered. And there was a reference in there to a wreck in 1837 called the Mexico. And she went up on Hempstead Beach in New York in early, early January. And I read it. But then I remember I had been in a newspaper and saw references to it. So I went back to the newspapers. And what's interesting was what was in the newspaper didn't jibe with what was in the book. And come to find out, the book's all wrong. Hmm. So that that made me wonder how much in in books are poor is poorly researched, which I think is a lot. It worries me when an author writes five, 10, 15, 20 books in like one a year. Well, you can't do that unless you've got a lot of writers, you know, ghostwriters working with you, doing all your research and stuff like that. You know, if you're doing a quick and dirty book, okay. You might be able to do that. But I know the book that portrait of a shipyard that was written by Lynn Snow and Doug Lee. It took them 10 years to put together. And, you know, there's a lot of work in these books, especially if it's, you know, basically based on, you know, his, history. It's, it's really hard to do that. So, but. You know, what I do when I go in, and you can do it a number of ways. You can go look for something specific, and then you've got dates. So that's not too bad. But my premise is, is that I go in and I copy anything out that's Marine-related. So let's take the Republican Journalist, which is one of the ones that I've almost completed. I'm up into the 1880s. And you started in the 1820s. Well, the early copies of that are relatively easy to go through. There's not very much that's maritime oriented. But as you get up into the 1870s, now it gets a little more, a little harder because there's information everywhere. You even have to look into the coastal towns because a captain will come home. They'll say that, you know, he was on such and such a vessel, but he's going to go back and he's going to go on board a different vessel. Well, now you can track that captain, and that takes a lot. So what I do is I go in and I copy the front page so I got the date, and then I go through every column of that newspaper looking for uh, the uh, uh, articles that are related to uh, the marine industry. And the big ones, of course, you get headlines, you know, like mutiny, pirates, uh, especially early in, you know, like in the 20s, 1820s, 1830s. And I always copy out the marriages and deaths because you don't know who those people are. They could be sea people or they, they might not be, but I put them all into the computer anyways. And then I do what is called either ship news uh marine list or whatever but it actually tracks the movement of every vessel and you know 
if I live long enough, what you do is you put that into a database so you can follow these vessels. The problem is they should be probably numbered somehow. And it's easy if the vessel has an official number, which is given by the United States government or Lloyd's of London, they would give you an official number. And so that you could really follow that easily. Uh, Pre-1867, when our official numbers came in, that's going to be harder because, you know, how many Marys were there? How many Anns were there? You know, there's a lot of names that there's just so many of them, it's unbelievable. So, you know, that's going to be hard to deal with. Hmm. But, you know. So, you know, tomorrow we'll just go over a little bit of that. I've got slides. And anybody who wants to actually see this Zoom presentation can go on the Penobscot Marine uh, Museum's website and look up Members Monday or, Mon yeah, Members Monday. And they'll be able to get it anytime they want. I guess they put it up on YouTube. So, so that's PenobscotMarineMuseum.org, isn't it? We forgot to mention the Newport show, probably the biggest show in New England as far as the in-the-water boat shows go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if we talked about the main boat builder show, but it was interesting. The other day I went into Kittery Point Yacht Yard and they were ecstatic with me because when I do main built boats at a boat show, what I do is I give you a list of people that you can go see. Well, apparently one of them listened to me and he took the list and he settled on Kittery Point Yacht Yard and there's the boat sitting in the yard being worked on. So they were ecstatic. And it also proved that the main boat builder show worked and, and boat shows in general work. And, you know, now we're headed to the Newport Boat Show this week. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how many people show up, how much product is there. You know, because some of them, they don't have boats, they don't have engines, so it could be interesting. Yeah. And with the pandemic on the upswing, you know, you kind of wonder how many people are going to say, oh, I don't think so. But I'm booked there for, you know, and I've got my vaccine. You live with a first responder, you kind of got to do those things. So, you know, so she and I'll be down there and uh, we'll see what happens. But like mm. you said, it's one of the biggest boat shows. But, you know, back in the fall, in the spring, a boat, there was a boat show that normally had 200 boats. They were hoping for 75 and they got 25. Yeah. So, but I think the pipeline's better, that there's more product in the pipeline. So maybe it'll be all right, but we'll see. Thanks, John. That's PenobscotMarineMuseum.org. Next is a cut from about 10 years ago. We talked with old friend Jeff Gold as he was working on the restoration of the Charles W. Morgan a whaling ship launched in 1841. She's 180 years old now. When this was recorded... Jeff was helping to replace what I will call ribs, but he doesn't. You can hear people in the background pounding on the ribs or whatever. Here's Jeff. Down in Mystic, Connecticut right now at Mystic Seaport Museum, working on the 
whale ship C.W. Morgan. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, Alan. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you. Now, um, I should tell people who who are maybe listening or to this on their computers, if you go to the Boat Talk website, boattalk.org, there's already pictures of what you, what you have. I see you're right in the boat right now, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and driving in nails. How could you tell? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, boattalk.org, there's pictures of uh, what you've been doing on the boat there. And one of the things you're doing right now is uh, bending in some three-inch um, is it yellow uh, yellow pine planks for the ceiling inside the boat? That's right. Yeah, that's a three inch thick. We're saying now, not three inches wide. That must be quite a wrestling match. Well, we put them in a steam box for uh, three three hours. Steam the, this yellow pine. Yeah, steam the yellow pine for three hours, and uh, they get all gooey with with the sap run right out of them, and then. Uh, we, we haul them up on the boat, and uh, we clamp them in place with uh, big clamps that go uh, right through the, uh, the planking and then uh, uh, with one-inch thread, threaded rod, and then uh, yard down on them with uh, big, um, uh, like, wing nuts yeah. and, and wedges to bring yeah. them down. They can take the bend and the curve. Right. There's a picture of that in, in the... Uh... In the, in the website. Pretty what, interesting. You've got a chain fall going there behind you now, too, huh? Uh, yep. What are you doing with yeah, that? Uh, well, uh, I think he's going to lift it up so he can uh, trim it, maybe uh, trim the butt. It, it, these ceiling planks, they're probably uh, four or 500 pounds on average, maybe. Now, we, we back up for a second and explain to people what a ceiling plank is. People might imagine it goes on the roof, you know, on the inside of the roof, but that's not true. A ceiling plank on a boat is the sheathing on the inside of the boat. Right. Um, if you're up in the fore berth and your yacht, it would be the teak strips that, uh, you know, parallel the shear there. But in this boat, the Charles W. Morgan's built in 1841. It's a whaler and meant to go out for years at a time and work really hard in really tough places. And so what we're talking about is the inside sheathing on this boat, the ceiling planks, they are three inches thick. Yeah, that's, that's it's just more massive. than ceiling. It's, uh, yeah. it's really an inner plank, and in many cases that inner plank is thicker than the outside plank in some of the old boats that I've surveyed. No kidding. Yeah. And I, they wouldn't waste wood, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, they put that much wood well, there for you, good reason. Are you finding anything that's similar there? Oh, well, uh, that's that pretty much good. The, the, the outside planking is also three-inch uh, yellow pine, and there's also some white oak planking where it's uh, got to take some really sharp bends, especially back aft. But um, it's, it's pretty much uh, three-inch uh, thick inside and out, and... Uh, 14, 14 inches seems to be uh, the max, which uh, the, the, the lumber, or the, 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 the logs we've got and the, and the planks we've cut, you know, it's, it's hard to get anything over 14 for anything more than 20 or 30 feet. So uh, I think we're probably working with the same, you know, parameters that uh, they worked with 170 years ago because the widest, you know, uh, planks they have are around 14 inches. And uh, some of the oak ones are maybe around 16 inches outside, but... 
So, um, yes, it's, it's quite heavy. And uh, I, I see I, that uh, book about Percy and Small, they talk about how the inside, the ceiling planking is, is to give a more structural strength than the outside. And the outside is the skin. And those were, uh, they show them edge fastened. But these are just trunnel fastened and, uh, and fastened with spikes. And uh, um, it, it didn't seem to be as heavy as those, those boats. So those main built schooners, those turn-of-the-century bath boats, I, I think especially because of the length, they really had to try to beef them up, you know. But uh, this boat, the framing is so heavy. You know, she's got 10 by 10 uh, framing, and there's only an inch or two between them. You know, it's almost, you know, one frame right up against the other. So uh, she's, she's pretty stout, you know, uh, that way. What? Uh, how's, how, how are you doing with your live oak for frame and frame phonics? Well, we we got a pretty good charge that from uh, Hurricane Katrina and a couple of the other ones. You know, they've been collecting it over a few years. Yeah. And uh, so so we put in uh, about two hundred new uh, in new pieces. Uh, I wasn't used to the terminology. I never worked on a on a vessel like this before. But you know, because the, uh, the the frames are so long with so much curve, they have to be cut out of uh, you know uh, sections. And uh, about oh, maybe eight feet long, and then uh, you know, fastened together sideways, frontal fastened. But we put in about two hundred new fuddocks, and uh, probably about a hundred thousand pounds worth. And we we still have some uh, live oak across the street, and we also got uh, when they were uh, just recently they were uh, excavating at the uh, Charleston shipyard up in uh, Boston, and when they dug down, they found a load of. Uh, old live oak uh, timbers that uh, they were already, um, you know, cut to uh, some uh, fuddock shapes. And uh, luckily, before they sent too many of those to the chipper, uh, they got in touch with us. And uh, so we have, we have quite a few of those, too, that have been buried for about 170 yeah, years. Those were probably all cut down south right in the forest. Yep. Were yep. they ever... Ever, uh, ever got to Boston? And yep. they'd take a pattern right into the woods, yeah. and they'd hack cut, off yeah. most of the wood right there yeah, in the forest. Yeah, try to cut it while it's green. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And now down south, uh, some places it's a heavy fine if you cut down a live oak tree without a special permit. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen pictures of them. They're beautiful trees. They uh, don't look anything like an oak, and and. Uh, the leaves don't look like oak, and they don't uh, drop their leaves at all. But I guess because they have acorns, I guess they're in the oak family. But that stuff, it's, it's so heavy, it, it sinks like a stone. It's about 25% heavier than, than water, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard stuff. You know, it's a very dense grain. And, uh, it's pretty wood, but it, it does uh, dry and, and check in kind of crazy ways. I, I got to ask you another question. What's the quality of your planking? Oh, the uh, the yellow pine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd say it, I'd say it's, it's it's good, Giffy. You know, I don't know, I have much to compare it to, but uh, um, it's uh, it's good old growth. You know, it's not that fast growth new stuff. Okay. I, you know, they, yeah. they, 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 they went and found people down there that were willing to part with some of it. And, uh, you know, it's old growth and, uh, oh, you know, um, 
you know, we, we milled it up here uh, a few months ago, so it, some of it goes back a little further. It hasn't had a lot of time to dry, but it makes it easier to bend, too. But And, uh, you know, we're using so much of it. Uh, you know, we picked through as much as we can. You know, definitely you know, no sapwood. You know, we, we, we had to get around all sapwood. But other than that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just long sections of... Yeah, uh, that's great. That's great, because yeah. I figured you'd have trouble getting quality material for the planking. And when he's talking about quality material, think about going to the lumber yard and getting some southern yellow pine that's the pressure-treated stuff nowadays. That's just horrible wood. It's grown so fast. Well, see, the yeah, other you know. problem is that so much of your southern hard pine has been bled for turpentine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. good point. They've taken the oils yeah, right yeah, out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, then when it gets cut for lumber... It doesn't stand up. Not like a maple tree where you take the maple oh. syrup out and the tree's still good, you know. Hey, Jeff, um, we know each other from, from uh, you know, building and fixing yeah. Hankleys and sailing around, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And I this forgot. is, as you say, a whole new, uh, whole new kind of league you're in down there at the Mystic Seaport. And isn't it so great that we all get to say words like fuddock on the radio, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. What's a fuddock? Explain the... Yeah, explain, define fuddock for folks. Okay, yeah. I, um, well, I say uh, each, well, if you want to get the technical, okay, each frame, it's, it's double sawn uh, frames. So um, you can't build the frame up out of, uh, you know, say eight foot pieces. You know, it's got to go up. Oh, just where, where we're working down the hole, it's got to go up uh, vertically about 12 feet. And it's, it's taking the shape of the, the boat, too, so um, you just can't get a piece of wood that's uh, big enough to cut to that shape. So you have to have uh, sections, though, six, eight, nine feet long piled on top of each other to get that whole uh, curve and length. So to give it uh, structural strength, they're done in uh, pairs uh, next to each other. And uh, and then fastened uh, crosswise so that each pair um, of combined fuddocks makes a frame. So each frame would have uh, oh from from the keel to the shear, I think uh, seven uh, fuddocks, and then um, so that'd be fourteen fuddocks total, and and they'd be staggered so so the butts are. Uh, um, you know, uh, in between sections, you know, so, so none, of, none of the butts fall in line. Lots of wood. And, uh, yeah, so, so the fuddock is each individual section, each individual piece of framing that gets... Uh, yeah, it's um, a better way to say it, just a sh- sh- short section of uh, frames to, in order to get the curve out of it. And then they're they're doubled up and, and drifted or bolted or really put together with trunnels. Thank you, Giffy. Wooden pegs, wooden yeah. wooden nails, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jeff, this boat sits in the museum there in the water. I'm guessing, and it's been on display for a long time. What kind of shape she in? What what kind of uh, we on a major rebuild here? Oh, this is a major rebuild, definitely, and uh, it's actually uh, quite a bold uh, undertaking. Uh, 
the uh, new head of the museum a couple years ago, uh, Steve White, he he decided that uh, this boat should uh, sail again and should go to sea. So they built a uh, a new ship lift. So it, it, there's a vertical um, lift dock that she came out on uh, two years ago. So she's all blocked up and and uh, so on and and then so she's hauled out and. Um, but remarkably, you know, for a, I mean, if people wonder about the durability of wood, this is a 170-year-old boat. And when we t- took off the ceiling planking uh, last year, a little more than a year ago, you know, no one had seen that, that, that framing, you know, uh, in 170 years. And uh, the framing down low, the, uh, the, the first timbers, she, she's got the... Uh, Four timbers all along, and then next to that, the first futtock in pairs, and all of those are uh, still sound. And and it's pretty amazing because, like with the four timbers, it, they have to take such a uh, bend to go up one side of the boat, underneath the keelson, and then up the other side of the boat, all in one piece. That uh, a lot of them, uh, one side was you know dimensioned off, you know, squared off, and the other side is still a branch. I mean, you look at it, and you see a branch, and sometimes it's got a crook in it and all, and then where they needed to, they put, you know, shims of all different sorts underneath it, and you can reach down in there and see on some of them, there's a, it's either bark or sapwood. They just left it right on there, and, and uh, but you take a hammer that, and if these uh, man Paul was down here surveying her, so, you know, just take my word for it, I mean, they're, Amazingly, there uh, there isn't a bad one in there, really. After and 170 years of uh, sitting in the bilge, covered up like that. And the old Charles W. Morgan has not sailed for quite a while. Not since 1920. Well, she came here in 1941, but under power. Yeah. Mm. Our she friend Giffy here was. Uh, Giffy was involved uh, trying to figure out if they could sail old Ironsides, the USS Constitution, again. And yeah. I guess why not? You know. Yeah, they could have sailed there. They were, you know, heavily restricted on what they could do, but she was, yes. in my view, she was pretty much fit to sail, period. Yeah. 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 So, Jeff, when you pulled off those ceilings, you find anything strange in there? Um, well, she'd been flushed out, I think, in the 80s. Um, they ran a high-pressure fire hose, and they, they put a drain hole in the village, and back then they found, you know, whale's teeth and corn cob or uh, clay pipes and things. Mm-hmm. We found a lot of more recent stuff, you know, that uh, we found, you know, flash cubes and old, you know, funny sunglasses and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Were they carefully logged as historical artifacts, too? I mean, well, museum actually, people. We did. When we cleaned out the village, we, we put every, you know, we vacuumed and cleaned by hand, mucked her out and put everything in... Uh, big Ziploc bags, and then somebody went through with a sieve, you know, sieved the whole thing out, and, and they did. They looked for uh, any kind of artifacts. And, and we found a few things. Um, you know, there's a lot of coal in her still down in there. And so we found a lot of pieces of coal and some, uh, you know, miscellaneous pieces of fastenings and things. But um, nothing, nothing really turned your head, you know. You know, we were always looking for that. We were always, no, we were, we were always looking for the whale teeth, but we didn't find any of those. But... Uh, um, it's, you know, it's, 
I mean, it amazes me when you dig down in the village because you feel down in there, and and you you're grabbing onto this muck that's like compressed down uh, against the the keel, but uh, it it seems like the perfect conditions for rot, but because of the salt water and maybe the whale oil and the coal and whatever it is, you know, you, you clean it all out, and the timber is just as hard as a rock. You know, I, I frankly don't understand it. Well, and you got to remember where she she used to work for years at a time, go to, say, the Pacific Arctic, and yep. come back in, what, four years back to Nantucket or some such, right? Yep. Yep. And again, uh, uncharted waters, uh, fighting whales, ice, uh, you know, uh, finding new rocks, all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, and they built them tough, and, and uh, they yep. were quite the boats. Yeah. Well, apparently she ran aground uh, once. I've been told uh, in, in Japan, Hokadate, there's a fellow making a documentary here, and I guess he's been over checking out, and he, that's the only instance I've heard of where she, uh, where she was involved in the grounding. And I don't know how they got her off. But, didn't cause an earthquake, did it? Uh, I, I hope not. But, uh, <laughs> Could be but, the yeah, cause. She, yeah, but, but yeah, she's been around Cape Horn, you know, you have to take your shoes off to count a number of times, and same thing up in the Arctic, and the in Antarctic, and uh, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing, really. No, those vessels are often frozen in the ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. another thing. They'd get caught for the winter and basically freeze in and just spend the time. Yeah. Well, 1871, the year they lost a big part of the fleet, uh, she was set to go, and I guess they changed their mind at the last minute, and their sister ship, the Emily Morgan, she went up there, and she got frozen in and, and, and never got out. But... Uh, they didn't take her to the Arctic that, that 1871 winter when so many of them uh, and they had to abandon them all, you know, and and uh, and leave them up there and you know and flee. But yeah. Well, you guys are doing your part to help with her longevity, but longevity is a as tricky little thing now, isn't it? You know. And it's wonderful yeah. that that vessel's been saved and will be around for a long, long time to come. I think it's really is a remarkable thing, yeah. yeah. Jeff, I, I hate to say this, but I've never been to the Mystic Seaport. What else do you see down there that I've got to go see? Oh, well, come on down. I'll show you around. Uh, oh, well, you know, there's, you know, for big things, they have the, they have the Joseph Conrad, you know, which was uh, Alan Villiers' ship for a while, and she was a you know, training vessel and just square-rigged and all that. She doesn't sail. They, they use her for uh, sail training with kids, you know, dockside, and then go out rowing and do all kinds of things. But and there's a brilliant that uh, I believe she's Sparkman Stevens and Nevin's built, and that, she's, she's just a piece of, of jewelry, you know. And I was working on the ceiling the other day, and I don't know if it was uh, Calif and the Brilliant or somebody else who says, you know, that they, they, to give, her, give that boat strength, not that she needs any more strength. She's just some solid and beautifully maintained. But she said that ceiling is uh, actually cocked, you know. I mean, she's a yacht. They, they even caught the ceiling on her, and she's got all kinds of beautiful uh, one-off, you know, cast uh, hardware and a very unusual uh, windlass with a shock absorber and all kinds of really uh, neat things. She was built during the Depression, and I guess, uh, you know, uh, but by P.T. Barnum, I believe, and I guess he had, I guess it was a good time for uh, to be in that business, and uh, so they had all the best craftsmen, you know, just hungry for work and uh, willing to work, you know, whatever it took, and, and uh, 
the Brilliant is really uh, yeah, she's, one of the more she's major a beautiful boat. Beautiful. Well, that's, really that's I think that's interesting that the fellow who uh, coined the phrase "the sucker is born every minute" was prone <laughs> to boat, uh, uh, you know, uh, fantasies himself. Yeah, apparently, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Jeff, that's going to going to keep you for another season or two down there. Well, she's going. They're planning on launching her uh, July twenty first, twenty thirteen. That's uh, the anniversary of her uh, mm. launching in July twenty first, eighteen forty one. So that's twenty thirteen to put her overboard, and uh, we'll probably be doing the ceiling planking for about another four or five months, and then uh, about this time next year we'll be well into the uh, topside planking. And then, then she's got to be cocked and she's and go overboard, and then let's we'll get ready to sail her. And and then uh, uh, after that, I'll be doing something different. So looking forward to that too. Cool. Well, don't be surprised if we sneak up on you. Sometimes got more reason to land down to Mystic uh, Seaport Museum right now. Well, come on down for the uh, wooden boat show. Haven't right. made that yet either. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, we're talking talking to our friend anybody, Jeff. And, Anybody listening, uh, if you come down here and, you know, it's, it's a museum and you're welcome, you know, it's, it's set up for people to look at, but, uh, you know, uh, anybody from me listening, uh, just ask for me and uh, I'll be glad to show you around the boat. That's it. Jeff Gold is your yeah. name. Jeff thank Gold. you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, thank you, Gibby. Yep, thank you, guys. Charles W. Morgan was relaunched in 2013 finished over that winter in the water and sailed in 2014. She was designated a National Historic Landmark in 1976, although I'm not sure how well a ship would like to be made a landmark. That's Jeff Gold. Next is an amazing report I recorded on the beach in the Virgin Islands just a few months after Hurricane Maria devastated St. John. You can hear the surf and the beachgoers in the backgrounds, so you have to listen carefully while Ronald Grant and I sat under a 40-something foot catamaran that was blown up onto the shore quite a ways it was one of those lucky ones, however, and here's Ronald. Uh, Ronald Grant and Sandra Miller. Yeah. We live on uh, a 1989 Catalina, three cabin, 42 feet, and we survived Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria in the Virgin Islands, in a place called St. John, in Hurricane Hole. The name of the boat yeah. is the Sandra Louise. Oh, we had a friend, Artis, because the direction of the winds, the north shore of St. John would be the best shot. So they went around to the north shore into water lemon and they tucked in there but artists who survived Irma was flown by sailing out had engine trouble going going around here and he couldn't steer his boat into water lemon 
So he had to veer off to his alternate course on the North Shore of St. Thomas. Artist has not been seen or heard of. Ray was found off the Dominican Republic. I'm getting an eyewitness account. Ray was one of them. He was on his boat. The winds came right down Water Creek, lifted the boats off the water. The boats were chained to their to the chain and their anchors and stuff. Didn't matter. The boats were airborne. Some of them just fell back down. You know, pollution got squashed with water a little bit, but the catamarans were airborne. They just floated in the air off the water, topsy-turvy, swinging back and forth, and then upside upside down. They became kites. Yeah. And then Ray and Brenda just were lucky that they got blown. Blown into the mang mangroves. Mang mangroves. So they did not get flipped. He, he was blind. He said, Ronald, I could see nothing. There was so much wind and water. There was zero visibility. He said, I knew I was moving fast. But when I came to a halt, I said, thank God. My anchor, my Danforth anchor, twisted. Like, just crazy twist, twisted. It's on the beach over there. It's like, it's a piece of art. Twisted. If I'm going to try and outrun the next storm, which I'm going to, to do, I'm not going to sit around and watch. Well, leave early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, leave early, real early, yeah. and keep, I mean, that's why I have a sailboat. I won't leave my boat. You know, I'm not going to be on her necessarily, but I'm not going to tie her up. And that will bring another boat talk to an exciting conclusion. Thanks for supporting Community Radio at weru.org. I used to buy the pins of boat and I used to buy the sail, sir. I used to buy the pins of fish and take some home to lie, sir.